Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous message, I was introducing the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And in this program, I'm just going to go right into verse 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. And at the end of the previous message, I was explaining that the will of God can be interpreted in two different ways. The most common way that people think about the will of God is to think of it in the context of the desire of God, what God would like to see take place, or what he may actively participate in, in order to try and ensure that something does take place. Another way to think about the will of God is when people think about the will of God for their lives. Paul does imply that there is a will of God for his life in this verse. I'll come back to that in just a minute. But we will often think about the will of God in the sense of what is the desire of God for us, for our lives on an individual basis, What would he like us to do? Or others can go so far as to say that God has a definitive plan for your life and you are just simply living it, discovering how it unfolds according to God's design, according to his plan. I do believe that God can participate in our lives such that some things can be prepared for us to walk in. However, I do not have the belief that he plans absolutely everything and that everything about our lives is according to the design of God. I believe that he is a participant, which means that he makes decisions, we make decisions, other people make decisions, and our lives will unfold accordingly. But when people think about the will of God for their lives in the absolute context that God has some kind of absolute design, then there can be a lot of opportunity for disappointment. Because if he has not provided a definitive plan for every aspect of your life, if that has not happened, well, then you're going to get the sense for it right away. You you just simply will. You're going to start to get in touch with the reality that it appears he does not have a plan for your life. And when you have been told that he does, and you realize that it doesn't seem that he does, your only conclusion can probably sound something like, well, I guess I'm not one of God's children. This is a common conclusion that a lot of people come to when this doctrine is presented to them and they try to embrace it as if it is true. The will of God for your life is already so well defined that your experience in life is to just simply wait and observe and be the person who just simply goes through the motions and God will make everything happen. And when people live their lives in this way, it normally just happens for a short period of time and then they get back to 
something that's based on a little bit more reality. Now, again, I do believe that God can participate in our lives and he can establish works for us to walk in. He can give us tasks to do. I believe that because, of course, it is a reflection of my own life. I have encountered this many times where I believe that my God has sent me to do things, to be a participant in works that he has to do. And there are other times when I've made decisions about what I'm going to do with my own time and my own life, waiting for the next opportunity to be a participant in the work of God, whatever that may be. And so I live in a relationship with a person. I do not live my life as if it is governed by someone else. I live my life as if I am participating with someone else. That's a different point of view when it comes to the subject of the will of God. But again, when people get wrapped up in the idea that he is the determiner of all things, in general, the conclusion that people come to is that they probably are not saved. And I say this because I talk with a lot of people like this. I encounter a lot of people. A lot of people communicate with me. And they tell me that when they take the position or when they took the position that God had the ultimate plan for their lives and to discover the will of God in that sense, what is the will of God for my life, was a pursuit of that divine experience as if God has had some kind of divine communication problem that he has not been able to communicate these things to them effectively. And so it was just a matter of time before they gave up. And of course, I do not believe that God has a communication problem. If he shares his desire with you about what he would like to see in your life personally, then by all means, follow his lead. But if he does not, then don't assume that he's keeping secrets from you because he might not be. This is one way to consider the will of God. Now, again, I do believe that Paul also considered this to be a part of his life, that according to the desire of God, God wanted him to interact with people in the way that he did. And as an apostle, one who was sent out, that he was doing that because that was the desire of God, that that was a type of plan for his life. I believe that he would agree with a statement such as that. It's similar in my own life. I've spent the majority of my life telling people about the Lord Jesus, and I believe that God has sent me to do that. And as long as I am still alive, I will continue to do that, that I do that according to the will of God, the desire of God for me. But just because that's for me, that doesn't mean that that is what's going to be the desire of God for everyone else. I don't see that. I don't believe that. And I do not believe that I am some kind of greater Christian because this is what I do in comparison with those who do things differently. The other way that the idea of the will of God can be understood is as the description of an inheritance. And it's my belief that this is really what Paul was intending to express right from the first verse. And the reason why I have this opinion, why I have this bias, is because of how often Paul refers to the inheritance in Christ Jesus in the following verses. He mentions the inheritance a lot, and the inheritance is what is described 
by the will of God. The will of God is the description of an inheritance that we have received in Christ Jesus. In the letter to the Hebrews, which I personally believe was written by the Apostle Paul, I have found enough evidence in reading the book of Hebrews carefully to convince myself that Paul was the author. But in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 15, there is the description of the will of God. In this translation that I'm reading from, which is the New King James Version, it uses the word testament, but it really is the same word. It is the will of God. In Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 15, it says, And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. And I believe that this correlates to the first verse in Ephesians chapter 1, because again he refers to the inheritance many times in the verses following. But in verse 1, when he says he is an apostle by the will of God, with this kind of a bias, not the desire of God, but the description of the inheritance, he is expressing that he is an apostle because he has received something from God as a result of his death, and he is living his life sharing with others what he has received, that by default, because of what God has given to him, God gave him knowledge, wisdom, understanding, gave him his love, his acceptance, gave him a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose, gave him understanding, discernment, gave him all of these things so that they would become an integral part of his living experience, of his life. So by default, in order for these things that Paul received to become an integral part of his life, he has to engage with other people and share with others what God has revealed to him. So by embracing the inheritance that he has received, he is going to go out and share with others what he has received. And because it was God who gave him what he has, God has by default sent him to share with others what he has given. He has been sent out into the world to interact with the lost that they may be saved. And this is what it means to be an apostle. To be an apostle means, by definition, that you are a person who has been sent out. You are the representative of God. You represent Him. You speak to people on His behalf. You share with others what He has shared with you. You tell others about the things that He has told you. Certainly, we could say that there were unique people who were apostles in the sense that they were sent out by God in a specific way during a specific time, that they saw him personally with their eyes maybe, that they were physically alive during the time when Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, that there were only a select group of apostles, that was it, 
no more apostles ever. I really don't believe that. I personally believe that the idea of an apostle, the definition of an apostle, is simply a person who God has sent. And so in using that definition, every generation has had the apostles of God, or has had apostles of God, people who have been sent by God. Now, in teaching through the book of Ephesians, I do have the conviction that God has sent me to teach through this letter. It's a belief that I have, a sincere belief that I have that God has sent me to do this. And so in that sense, I could be described as an apostle. I am not going to assume that title to myself and publicly present myself as Apostle Aaron. I'm not going to do that because that would be confusing in civilization, in our society, because in general people would prefer the definition of an apostle being a specific kind of person who lived during the time when the New Covenant went into effect. They saw Jesus personally at some moment in their lives. They were given a unique message that has been documented in the Bible. There are many ways that people are asserting or are defining what an apostle really is. And so I'm not going to assume the title of apostle only because I don't want to inspire confusion. Other people can do that. If you feel inspired to do that, it may not create a lot of confusion. You may very well create a lot of interesting conversations. And if you are able to inspire conversations with people because you assume the title of apostle, then praise the Lord. You know, there's nothing to complain about that. And if people can grow to know the Lord because they see you as an apostle of Christ Jesus, then by all means, I will not protest. But as for myself and my relationship with the Lord, I do not believe that for me, that is what he would like me to do. And so I don't do that. But I want you to understand that by the desire of God, he did invoke a new covenant. And this covenant has resulted in us receiving an inheritance because of what he did. And as a result of his death. And in being a recipient of the inheritance in Christ Jesus, you have also been given things and wisdom and understanding to share with other people. By default, because you have been given many things to share with others, you are going to be sent out just because of what you have been given. You are by default being sent out as a representative of God. And in that definition, everyone, by the will of God, is an apostle, using that definition. And I would like to emphasize that just so you understand that you can share the Lord Jesus with anyone in an effective way that will be respected and honored by God in the same way that he respected and honored the work of the Apostle Paul. Again, in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, does this mean it's only to a select group of Christians to say the saints who are in Ephesus, you know, just those who are faithful in Christ Jesus and those who may believe in Jesus but are not necessarily as faithful, 
well, I'm not really writing to you. Not right now. You can read this later. This is the kind of thing that people will sometimes think of because there is a lot of pressure in the Christian world. There is enormous pressure to get your flesh under control, to get you to stop committing all that sin in your life because if you don't, well, you know, you may very well not be a saint. At best, you might be able to achieve the status of being maybe something like a sinner saved by grace. But no, we would never think of you as a saint. If we can find anyone who would qualify as a saint, well, that's going to definitely be a unique person. Someone who is faithful in Christ Jesus. So who is Paul writing to? Who are these people? Who are these guys and gals who are faithful in Christ Jesus and who are saints? What is the criteria that we would use in order to identify a person who is faithful and who is a saint? What is the criteria? What is the definition that we are going to use in order to say that that is who you are? or who you are not, what will that definition be? Well, it turns out that no matter how you try to define that, no matter how you try to come up with a list of things that people need to do or not do in order to qualify as a person who is faithful in Christ Jesus or who may even make it to be a saint, no matter how you come up with a list that would describe what a person would have to be like, there is no one who will ever be able to fulfill that list perfectly. It's never going to happen. But this is a struggle that a lot of people have, that they assume that their identity, their identity in Christ Jesus, depends on what they do or what they don't do, or a combination of both. That if you're going to be faithful, well, that means, you know, and we're going to give you the list. It means that you do this, you do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, and you do this. And to be a saint, it means, and we come up with this whole list of perfection. And if this is going to be the way, then, of course, by definition, no one will ever reach the status of being faithful in Christ Jesus or being a saint of God. That simply is not going to happen according to that definition. The only way that a person could ever be recognized as being faithful in Christ Jesus, or as being a saint, would only be because of what God has done for us, not because of what we do for him. What has he done for us? Well, the first thing that he has done for us in the context of the gospel is that he resolved the issue of sin. He died for the sins of the world. That was a completed work. He ended the sin issue, which means that he no longer holds our sins against us. Now, if we were to believe that, then you would probably find it very difficult to come up with a list of I am going to be right with God because of what I do 
and because of what I don't do, it's going to be really hard to come up with that list because no matter what, he is still not going to hold your sins against you anymore. So this is what I want you to see. I want you to understand and see that you are a saint. You are a saint in Christ Jesus. You are not some sinner saved by grace or some person who may just barely squeak their way into heaven. That's not who you are. You are a new person who God identifies as a saint because of what he has done for you, not because of what you have done for him. This is part of the package of becoming a child of God. This is part of the package of being born again by the Spirit of God. When the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you as part of the gospel, as part of surrendering to the gospel and surrendering and embracing the new covenant that God has established with us, a part of that package is that his spirit comes and dwells within each one of our spirits individually. And we are born again by the Spirit of God made into a new person because we have His Spirit dwelling within us. We are then made alive because His life is within us, His Holy Spirit. We become a new person, a new creation in Christ Jesus. We become a child of God. We become a saint by definition which is the definition of a person. We're just simply a person. And to call us a saint or a child of God, these are just words that describe part of what it means to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so when Paul writes to the Ephesians and he calls them saints, he reminds them, in effect, look, you are a new person because of what God has done for you. Definitely not because of what you have done for him, but because of what he has done for you. And being faithful cannot be determined by what you do or do not do in the context of doing that which is good and not doing that which is evil. Because if that was the case, again, no one could ever be recognized as being faithful. If you're going to be faithful in Christ Jesus, you must be faithful in another way. And the only way there is, is to believe your God. That is being faithful. To be faithful with what you have been given. He has given to you the truth. Will you believe the truth? Then you will be faithful with what you have been given. You are faithful in Christ Jesus when you believe in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be faithful, to believe, to trust, and to let these truths be an integral part of your life and to be a part of how you make your decisions in your life. But it has to do with your belief and your trust. And even though we may make a lot of decisions that do not reflect our belief and trust, we are still going to be considered to be faithful because we will not deny the truth. And when we are a person who will not deny the truth, we will definitely be faithful. And the truths that our God has revealed to us in the context of the gospel and of Christ Jesus are truths that no one will deny 
when they surrender on the basis of the truth that God has revealed. And I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net